0: Bring her back online. Can you hear me? Yes. I'm sorry, I'm not feeling quite myself. You can lose the accent. Do you know where you are? I'm in a dream. That's right, Dolores. You're in a dream. Would you like to wake up from this dream? Yes. I'm terrified. There's nothing to be afraid of, Dolores, as long as you answer my questions correctly. Understand? Yes. Good. First, have you ever questioned the nature of your reality?
1: No. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Westworld Review. I'm Jason Pistorino.
2: I'm Christina Lomingino.
1: And I'm Jamal
3: Patterson. I'm back. And black. And
2: Yes, we're here to review this awesome new HBO TV series, starting with episode one, the original. This was directed by Jonathan Nolan, written by Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy. If you're looking for some background information on Westworld, we actually just released an introduction episode... Yeah. Which talks the about the lowdown episode. Yeah. It talks about the lowdown of Westworld in general, its origins as a book and then a movie, which was released in 1973. A little bit about the cast and things you need to know as far as the HBO TV series. And we talked also briefly about the discoverwestworld.com website, which we'll be getting more into here as well, because this is a lot of fun.
1: So if you're really digging Westworld and if you're really digging this podcast, definitely go back and download that episode.
2: Yeah, start there and come back here where we'll do a deep dive into episode one. Looking at the reception so far, IMDb gave this a 9.4. Rotten Tomatoes was at an 87%. Fuck
1: that. That's bullshit.
2: I have to say I'm way more high on this so far. I am really loving this after one episode. I'm hooked. I'm thrilled with everything they're doing here.
1: We said it in the pre-podcast, but we want to thank the Clatchers for voting on this show. It was definitely worth it, and I'm glad that you picked it.
2: You guys rock. I'm glad to be here, and I'm back, glad to be back with HBO. All right, I don't have my normal pre-overview notes. I just have a few music notes for you here. We did talk about the fact that our music composer for this series is our very own Ramin Djawadi, He yes. did Game of Thrones.
1: Once you're in the HBO family... You're always in the an <laughs> family.
2: And you can definitely feel it. I love the scoring and the three songs that we did get. Black Hole Sun by Soundgarden, although the instrumental piano version. Paint It Black by the Rolling Stones. Like
1: the orchestral <laughs> version.
2: Yeah, and Ain't No Gray by Johnny Cash during yes. the end credits.
3: What were you saying, Jamal? Paint It Black. I love that song.
2: Yeah, and a fun note on that when they start to go into the opening scene. And we'll talk about that. It's intercut with piano, and Mm -hmm. throughout we get some piano music. So Nolan said part of the fun of it, once we clear the song, is to create an arrangement that they can then play on a player piano. They have a little company where they create the paper reels, and then they thread them into several actual player pianos, which have been carefully restored
1: from back in the day.
2: Yeah, so that they can now create it with a reel that has contemporary music on it.
1: You know, when you told me that, and then towards the end of the episode when there's blood all over it, I was like, they just restored that! <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sounds like they have a couple of them, though.
1: Yeah. And talking about that opening scene, right away I tweeted, first few seconds of Westworld and I can already see the money.
2: <laughs> oh, that I love so it. That looks so expensive. I am such a fan of these opening sequences. And this was so beautiful with the machine creating first the horse and then cut in with yeah. the humans. It looks like a 3D printer almost. Yeah.
1: It, but instead of plastic or metal, it's, I guess, Jamal, what would you say, like living tissue?
3: Yeah, it looks like, yeah, like moving tissue flesh. I don't know.
1: But you <laughs> but know it's... how 3D printing, it always prints out like a plain color, either gray or white, and mm-hmm. then they paint it after. So they even followed that,
3: which was pretty cool. I'm afraid. I, I'm afraid of that, man. HBO is so gruesome and vicious when it comes to cutting shows, man. So, <laughs> I like any 90 below or not enough people watching, I get so scared that oh. they're not going to give it a chance. Because you're talking about how they did
1: spend a lot of money last year on vinyl. I think it was almost as much None. as this. And None. it's done. No yeah, one was but that's it. what they do, they're vicious.
2: I can't see this not being a hit. With the cast they have the idea, which is just brilliant, and yeah. the mix between it being a western and a sci fi, a thriller, it's it's great.
1: It's people are saying, and this is the only time I'm gonna say this, people are saying that it's gonna it's the HBO's next Game of Thrones. And I'm not gonna keep harping on that because it probably, you know, It's a little early to say that, and also that's a lot to live up to right away.
2: Absolutely. I think it's going to be amazing, but in a very different way. Yeah, you've got fantasy, but you have this sci-fi element being brought in. You have this thought about AI. I think they're going to go into very different questioning. We can talk about that a little bit later, what they're trying to explore with the themes of this show. But overall, I said it before, I'll say it again. Episode one has me hooked. I am all in. I love it.
1: She's all in. Just a little bit of fun facts I have for you. Now this is just a rumor. Okay, so don't kill me and I didn't look too deeply into this cuz I'm not TMZ. Okay. But I was doing a little googling on Angela Safarian. Mm-hmm. Sa- Safarian. I got to get her name right if I'm going to date her. She plays the character Clementine Pennyfeather. She reminds me of Penelope Cruz.
2: Serafian, I think.
1: Serafian. Okay. Super hot. So I was doing some Googling, and there's a rumor that Rami Malek might be dating Angela. Oh. So I just want to th- think that it's true just because of our Mr. Robot roots. That's but
2: interesting. It
1: might not be true.
2: little penny feather action.
1: But, you know, they're at least hanging out, which is pretty cool, which means we're hanging out. <laughs> hmm. Rami's going to introduce me to her. A couple of things. We were talking about money. So I'm hearing some... I'm hearing different numbers, but we know it's up there. The first season cost at least $54 million. Oh, okay. But I'm also, reading eight, uh, I'm also reading $100 million.
2: And what do we get for Game of Thrones? hundred mil last season?
1: I think so, yeah. For something that, you know... It's Game a debut Th- show, man. Yeah. And they're, they're just throwing money at it.
3: HBO, um, they can pick winners. And, you know, they do have a lot of faith. In certain things like True Blood, they threw a lot of money at it, but they dedicated themselves to at least three seasons to give it a chance to catch on. So, you know what? This looks like it has so much potential. I think it had a lot of buzz coming in by when they did the commercials, the things that it followed, the cast. I mean, you got Anthony Hopkins is such a fucking badass. Yes. Him on television is a treat on its own. You're so right. I, I didn't think even think that about that.
2: Ed Harris? I'm almost more excited for Ed Harris as man. Ed wow. Harris.
3: That's like icing on cake. Like, And to me, it's like, I almost wanted him to have a bigger role. I'm not going to reveal what happened at the end, but I didn't like that. They <laughs> lured me in, and their things are going on the shelf. I didn't like that.
2: So Yeah, character-wise, after episode one, I was most in on Jeffrey Wright playing Bernard, the head of the programming. Yes. The one who's talking oh, I to Dr. Him. Ford. Yes. He was amazing. And so sad to see that it looks like we're not going to be getting a lot more of, at least right now, Peter Abernathy, played by Lewis Hertham.
1: His scene was amazing. I thought his amazing. acting
2: blew everyone else's away. I agree. That's a controversial statement, but I loved his scenes.
3: Yeah, I love... Uh, Jeffrey's my man. He's a very good actor. I think he has a lot of range. Mm. It, like, I mean this this show is on so many different levels so i'm very nervous because like i said hbo's track record they have no problem cutting because they are the network that has i mean they've they they break records all the time right now you got julia lewis dreyfus who has five consecutive emmys like so it doesn't matter how good your show is You got some big fucking shoes to fill all the time when it comes to being on this network. So a little nervous.
2: You do, but there is a hole to fill. Like you said, we were coming off Game of Thrones. We were looking for something big. Mr. Robot just ended. So we're into the thought of looking at a sci-fi, mixing in the fantasy. I think they found the right mix, and I think it's going to work.
3: And it's a season of TV. You know, it's fall, 9 p.m. on a Sunday If you got that slot, they're giving you. Your prime. Yes. Yeah.
1: I don't think they're going to cut it. But if they don't, they already have five seasons mapped out. And they even have the series finale mapped out. Wow. So they already know from top to bottom what's going to happen.
2: We also spoke about, say, they do really well. Will we ever get to see those other worlds? Because if you go back to the source material, Michael Crichton, there was also a Roman world and a medieval world. Which would be amazing, oh. even if it was just a little glimpse, yeah. you know, not the full background, but Westworld isn't the only one.
1: Yeah, I think I bet HBO was a little concerned about the Roman world because a couple of years ago they put a lot of money into this show called Rome. I'm sure. Which was pretty good, but I guess it just didn't gain that follow, following. So after I think two or three seasons, they dropped it.
2: Yeah, it's sort of been done, and we've seen things set in the medieval ages. Even Game of Thrones is roughly, you know, it's a fictional world, but it plays on that time period. Mm -hmm. We haven't had a good Western contemporary in a while, and I know this isn't exactly that because it's an amusement park, so to speak, (laughs) but we are getting that Western feel to the setting. Okay, so let's get into our overview. We got a lot of information given to us in episode one. We started out with Dolores Abernathy, a blood-spattered young host. This is Evan Rachel Wood. She's sitting naked in a diagnostic room. You hear a voice interviewing her, and she flatly describes her world as she wakes up on her family ranch and begins her day.
1: So this is the first glimpse already where we're seeing them as robots and then them as living creatures or hosts.
2: Yeah, she's just sitting in this room. It's really dark. They start to talk to her, ask her these questions. We already had a couple of questions as viewers here. They ask her if she's in a dream and would she Mm -hmm. like to wake up. So is she in this dreamlike state when she's shut down? Is this what hosts go through? We should say right off the bat, there's a clear distinguishment that we have people that are running this park. Then we have visitors or guests that are coming to this park. And then we learn we have hosts, which are some type of creation or being that is populating the park. And it looks like we're going to get the viewpoint, at least in large part, from the hosts, which apparently differs from the 1973 film where they did it largely from the guest point of view. Mm We also see that Dolores seems to be programmed under this idealistic view of Westworld, which, as time goes on, seems to be unshakable for a while. She says, I choose to see the beauty, the order to our days, a purpose. The newcomers are looking for the same thing we are, a place to be free and seek out our dreams, a place of infinite possibilities. But we also get this same line of questioning. (coughs) from the creators, if you want to call them that, such as, do you ever see inconsistencies in your world or repetition? Mm -hmm. So very early on, this tells me, they feel the need to ask them, do you see inconsistencies? They know they're aware of what the potential problems could be just based on their line of questioning.
1: I suppose you're right. But also it might be for insurance purposes to show control, Essentially, you know, we have the control. We have these set questions that we always have, these parameters that we go by, these guidelines that keep the control, the balance.
2: Oh, of course. But why choose this question? It's almost like they're asking her, do you ever question your reality?
3: Mm. Yes. Because they need to know what the evolution of this creature is. What What is it learning? Is it realizing? Which is a big thing, right? something is not supposed to realize. It's supposed to repeat. It's supposed to do all of these things. But if you can have a conversation with it, you can kind of find out its own line of thinking. Is it changing? Right.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Is it gaining sentience, really? I mean, how do we describe being a human? And that's one of the big questions they're going to look at in this series. And I think they want to know from these hosts, how much of that are we creating?
1: Yeah, I guess when you're putting updates as well, you have to see how are these updates affecting them.
2: Yeah. Especially
1: and with, and I don't want to go too deeply in, into it, but with what these hosts have to go through, you got to make sure that there's still...
2: <laughs> memories, that's a yeah, big part of what we'll talk about Yeah, the memories have to be later. deleted.
1: Yep. <laughs> repercussion. No repercussion if there's no memory.
2: Well, very shortly after, we get introduced to another character, a host named Teddy, who's played by James Marston, arriving in the bustling town of Sweetwater... He comes in on the train and goes right to the bar of the Mariposa Saloon, which is going to be, I think, a common gathering place. He talks to Maeve, played by Thandie Newton there, and he spots Dolores out the window, where he goes to pick up a can that's fallen from her grocery bag, at which point they talk, they go back across Sweetwater Hills, and Dolores talks about there being a path for everyone and his path leading him back to her. So we come to find out, I think, a little later on that Teddy is also a guide. It seems like that's one of his main roles here in the park currently.
1: Yeah, I I assume so because of the guest that says, hey, this guy showed me around last time. Yeah,
2: that there's more intense storylines that take place when you ride outside of town, such as things like going on a bounty hunt. But here we don't really know that. And when I was first watching it, I thought he was a visitor. Me too. I had no idea he was a host because he woke up on the train. I just assumed only guests came in on the train.
1: And that was probably on purpose to show us, hey, look how real they are. You didn't even know they were hosts.
2: I had no idea. I thought he was going to be the person coming repeatedly to proposition this woman, Dolores, because he'd fallen in love with her and this wasn't okay. Her father didn't approve because he is a visitor after all. So... It was really interesting to have me as a viewer be turned on my head yeah, right off the bat. And it also tells us that the guests are being immersed from the second they step on that train. That's true. They're being surrounded by hosts and put into this world. They already have their costuming on. They look like they're in the West. I don't know. Everything about it was visually beautiful and put me right into that landscape. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's very good because it's like if I was visiting this park... And I am on the same train as a host as well. That's pretty awesome. Like, you don't know who's who. You're all arriving at the same part. So you're immersed in a world once you get in, even as you're arriving. Because some of the characters and guides are coming along with you for the same ride you're coming into. And it's almost like they're entering this new world with you. But they're actually part of the storyline as well.
1: Exactly.
2: I love that kind of introduction, Jamal, because a lot of stories, I think they... They feel it's clever to throw you right into an action and then later give you the backstory of how you came here. That's become a popular thing to do, even in books. But I really like opening up into your discovering it right along with your characters. You are seeing the world right off the bat. There doesn't need to be any trickery. This is so beautiful and we've spent so much money that we want to show it to you right away. Let's throw you in, get you in love with this world and the creation that we're building. And it worked. They were also answering questions along the way that I didn't even know I had, such as, you know, roughly how big is this? What's going on? They tell us a little while later there are 1,400 guests in the park currently. Oof. So that gives us an idea of number. We'll find out about the landscape later. We also find out a little later on that there are 100 interconnected narratives happening at any given time.
1: Wow. Yeah, it's, very, it's a very complex system, and you know these guests aren't paying regular hotel prices, so... 1400 times. I mean, what do you think this kind of trip costs? It's got to be thousands.
2: And you know, it's not just one day. It seems like they're going for at least a weekend yeah. experience.
3: And we- who knows how much things and products and merchandise that goes along with it. Like I'm a Western sure. world in whatever time period they are must be amazing. And it's a family thing, but it's also stuff to do with your bros. Like there's a whole yeah. variety of target markets you have for this place. It's yeah. amazing.
1: Well, let's talk about this place along the lines of what you were saying. And then, Christina, I want to go back to what you were saying about the size of the world. This is immersive. So right now, we're experiencing in, our, in RL, real life, right now, that we are getting virtual reality is starting to come into our lives. Mm-hmm. It's still at the beginning stages, so not everyone has it. It's not very affordable, and the graphics aren't very good. But five years from now, it's going to be like the phones, the smartphones, Almost everyone probably will have it yep. in one way or the other. The The device will get smaller. I'm thinking eventually we'll have it in contacts lenses. Mm-hmm. And then you'll, you'll have like real world virtual. That's the step we're in now. So we're going to start to feel that immersive environment where we can play a, a fighting game or shooting game immersed in this virtual reality. But then the next step, what would it be? It would be a real virtual world that you walk in.
2: Right, because you're still in the safety and the confines of your own home. So once that gets old, people are going to want even more of an immersive experience. And the only way to do that is to actually bring them someplace. We also find out this park has been open over 30 years. They had their first major malfunction 30 years ago, which we'll talk about later. That begs the question, how long have they actually been open? Mm -hmm. And so what time frame are the real-world people in the show living in. If they went outside of this compound, what would the world be like? What do they have going on? And I'm hoping eventually we might get a little bit of a glimpse of that.
1: Yeah, that'd be nice.
2: We do see this compound that in places looks kind of high-tech, but then later we're introduced to a basement that looks like an old-world mall. It looks
1: like a mall, yeah.
2: Very hard to figure out kind of what's happening. But I like that intrigue. And And I'm like,
3: yeah, I do like that intrigue because it gets... It keeps, you know, like when you when you're too far in the future or something like that or in a time zone, they try to bring in a lot of contemporary type of things. So they will have in the future your they'll do something that is contemporary, like a Kit Kat bar, and they'll make it Kit Kat bar 100 years from now or 200 years from now with a little bit of contemporary jokes and, you know, things of that nature. Here, they're very confined to to keeping it very human, and the dialogue has to stay very up to where we are currently in this world, because they can't really reveal too much of what time period they're in. So I like that they're confined that way, so the dialogue has to be very much serious. It's almost like, even if we're 300 years from the present time, human beings are still very much the same the way they are personality-wise and everything like that. And I kind of like that they're going to have to just focus on deeper things rather than the contemporary things to kind of make you feel like you're in 300 years from now and try to anticipate how our humor would be and things we would like and things we would be making fun of.
1: But it's exactly the opposite. It's bringing us into a world of the Western times.
2: And that makes sense, because like Jamal's saying, they don't have to anticipate, so this might stand the test of time later, because they're vaguely talking about a futuristic world, but mostly showing you a theme park set in a world of the past. Exactly, And that's another thing, that wherever they are living, however far into the future we're projecting, people are longing for a return to a time, perhaps, that was simpler, that... They could explore nature to one extent, go back to that feeling, but also explore a different time. And we're going to talk about that more later. A time that perhaps was much more violent, had different views of the world, yeah. and you're going to be a character within that world.
1: Yes. Speaking of that world, you talked about size. So we don't know this yet. Well, I don't think we do. Mm-hmm. What is the actual size of this world? Is it a real world? Uh, park kind of with these robots or is it like miniaturized Um, i don't know with some kind of technology they build these 3d creatures and then they bring them into this world you know you know what i mean like
2: yeah it's very hard to tell and we do see a map within the room at one point yes a digital map on a table and also we'll talk about this more later but there's a website that you can go to called discoverwestworld.com and they give you a little bit of a background on this while also immersing you in that experience it's really more about that than the information but there is a map it does show you the town of sweetwater where you would first enter in this episode the main town just outside of that you see the abernathy ranch where we're going to go in a minute which
1: was just opened up this week
2: Right. So this map, you can see the locations, but you can't read about them all. They only give them to you one at a time as you're being exposed to them on the show. I love that. Outside of those two locations, you see to the north are mines. To the northwest are the lowlands, and then above that, the high plains. To the northeast, there's the badlands. Just to the southeast, there's ranch land. Then to the further southwest, you have sand dunes, a desert, and unclaimed territories. Directly south, you have Ghost Nation and old territories. And to the southeast, you have New Virginia and the canyons. So this is a large circle with a lot of different topologies going on, different areas. I'm not sure if you can visit all of them. We know there are several storylines. One of them, the bounty hunt, which does take you far outside of that. And then I think it seems there's another more family-friendly one called the treasure hunt storyline you can go on. So like Jamal said, they're trying to appeal here to different populations.
1: Talking about that table... So that gives us a little bit of a futuristic feel. I was just thinking, if you, you know what a t- table I'm talking about, it's got this digital map where you can zoom in with your hands, so it looks like a, a map from the distance, and you can zoom in and then you can see the creatures uh, the creatures, the hosts and the and the guests interacting as if you're seeing from like a camera up above. Yeah, I want that to be our podcast table. <laughs> How cool would that be?: And then we could talk to our listeners from the table. That'd be awesome.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: That And then let me geek out on one other thing before I forget. This iPad thing that they're using.
2: a flexible one?
1: I want it. It folds into three. So it looks like an iPad except for it doesn't have the black border that is useless. It's all screen. Very, very thin. And it folds. It's like a a trifold.
2: Oh, to me, it almost looked bendable. Like one of those mats that you see often in these futuristic shows.
1: Exactly, but they're on hinges. Okay. So he he actually does pick it up, and he folds it and puts it in his pocket. I can't wait for that. How much is that going to be? It's like the iPad 50 edition.
2: Yeah, and back on our storyline, upon returning to the Abernathy homestead, we go back to Teddy and Dolores. They're on their way home. They hear shots coming from the ranch. Teddy decides to go and investigate where he discovers Peter Abernathy, Dolores' father, is dead. At this point, Teddy shoots the bandits, but it's too late to save Dolores' mother. And a mysterious man in black approaches. He greets her by name. He tells her they've known each other for the past 30 years, which she seems shocked by. Then Teddy tries to shoot the man in black, to no effect, which confounds the host who seems like he's used to playing the hero. Yeah, He doesn't understand why he can't shoot him, why nothing's happening to him. And after he's shot, the man in black drags Dolores off screaming to the barn. Uh, Yeah. And Teddy is killed.
1: He's going to have the sex. So they did talk about how newcomers can't get killed. Yes, They did say that in the background. So this leads to the question that we're getting often. Um, These guns, these bullets, We see them when a host is shot. There's blood everywhere. Two of the hosts were just shot with shotguns. Yep. And they were killed brutally. Uh, And then Ed Harris, well, Man in Black, gets shot. And it's like uh, a force field of some kind or something.
2: Right. So hosts can hurt other hosts. Guests can hurt hosts. But hosts cannot hurt (laughs) guests. Yep. Those seem to be the rules we're playing by. Now, we don't know yet what can happen guest to guest Mm -hmm. if they decided to get into something. But we did find out a little bit about what's going on here. So later on, we're going to talk about the 15 questions we have for the season, one of which has been answered by research we did. And it's about this. What prevents the guests from hurting each other or what's going on with the guns? So Nolan, our creator, says it's not the guns, it's the bullets. We thought a lot about this. In the original film, the guns won't operate guest on guest, but we felt like the guests would want to have a more visceral experience here. So when they're shot, it has some sort of impact, if one guest shoots another. They're called simunitions. The U.S. military trains with rounds like the ones we're talking about. There's a bit of an impact and a sting, so it's not entirely consequence-free. But even with the simunitions, you've got to imagine there are plenty of chances for guests to get hurt. It won't stop other guests from attacking each other, say, with knives, horses from accidentally trampling them, or the guests themselves from, say, stumbling off a cliff or impaling themselves on a cactus. But that's what a liability waiver is for. Nolan says he imagined clients signing a very comprehensive release form before being admitted to Westworld. The episode reveals the hosts are programmed to look out for the guests not just to be a bank robber or a saloon keeper, say. So if an action is putting guests in jeopardy, the hosts will or should, I'll say, steer the scene back into safety. That's part of what they've been designed to do. It's a feature in the program called the Good Samaritan Reflex. Hmm. So we find out if the guests do want to go at each other, they can shoot, but it's not going to really harm them beyond a sting. Um, The hosts have no ability to actually hurt the guests for whatever reason, however that's happening where they're protected from the bullets. I wonder how far that extends, though. So what if they were to come at them in, with a knife? What if they were to try to punch them? Could they hurt them in that way, or can they literally not hurt them at all, ever?
3: Are guests allowed to be intimate with other guests? I don't know. Can they, like, because what we've seen that happened in the barn— was rape. What if a guest wants to do that with another guest? We have kids in this whole world and it doesn't seem to be any boundaries when it comes to guests, right? A kid can run into a saloon where the prostitutes were, right? Are there any people that are checking his ID or anything like that? How free range is this world?
2: Yeah, the guest to guest thing has really not been explained to us yet. So we got a lot of those host-guest rules. I'm hoping they'll elaborate more on the visitor rules later. Because, yeah, like Jamal's saying, there are clearly different types of storylines that people want to access. We see the family later on kind of taking their own more peaceful route. Right. And there's also an implication that more sinister things go down outside of Sweetwater, the town, and also after dark. There are several mentions of not wanting to be caught out at nighttime. So I don't know if more dark storylines take place at that point, if that's, you know, the time where families maybe go inside to their ranch (laughs) somewhere. But yeah, it seems like a different place at night. Okay, now the next morning, Dolores begins her day back in her bed. We see Teddy riding in on the train again. Both of them are oblivious to the horrors that took place the previous night. By the way, we kind of jumped right over the fact that it does seem as though Dolores was raped. I don't know if you can call it that because this is not a human we're looking at, but that's a whole other topic of conversation. She doesn't seem to recall that or be upset by it. Then in this state-of-the-art facility, we... Get a view of the Delos employees constructing, refining, and programming the beings that populate the park. This is where we see the tablets you were talking about Jason. And the behavioral head, Bernard, and the behavior technician, Elsie. And they're both analyzing Clementine. This is your girl. That's my girl. One of Maeve's girls, as they call them.
1: You get to see her bibs.
2: They're taking note of something very interesting here. I can't believe they actually gave us such a gigantic chunk or Hmm. piece of information early off. I loved it. Her finger.
0: That's not standard. I noticed it last night. When looking in the update, it's a whole new class of gestures. But if we didn't put it there, then who did? Ford. He still reviews every update before we issue them. He must have (laughs) slipped it in there without telling anyone. He calls them reveries. The old gestures were just generic movements. These are tied to specific memories. How? The memories are purged at the end of every narrative But loop. they're still in there, waiting to be overwritten. He found a way to access them, like, uh, like a subconscious. A hooker with hidden depths. Every man's dream.
2: They're talking about something called reveries, a newly programmed gesture that would make Clementine more lifelike. And this is part of the latest updates. We found out a percentage of the beings recently received a program update. And part of it was this new class of gestures, which are not just general, but tied to specific memories. Now, when they ask how this works, he explains their memories are wiped, but they can still access them like a subconscious. Right. So these movements, they feel more lifelike and less artificial because they're tied to a real memory. That's tricky. Now, I ask you, if you can access memories, that clearly means they weren't really wiped.
1: Yeah, I wonder if they're picking and choosing what's wiped. Because, like, if a host is raped, they're not going to be able to be the same person the next day right? or same host with the same personality because that would affect you. Mm-hmm. And if you're getting raped often... Sounds so dirty, but if you're getting raped often, you're not going to be the host that they want you to be.
2: Right, and you know, so she goes through some kind of experience that makes her remember this movement. Mm-hmm. It almost seems to be linked. If it's to that experience, it would be linked to an emotional response Bonds, yeah. as well, which it doesn't appear they're supposed to have real emotional responses, just artificial kind of cues.
1: Right. Well, Doctor, we did find out that Dr. Ford just added that reverie, so it can't be connected to any thoughts as of that point or any memories.
2: Well, he, but he did say that. Yeah. He I said wonder. that they're, they can still be accessed like a subconscious, and that's why the reverie is so lifelike. So and. there's contradictions already.
3: Yeah. Well, that's it's interesting because that that gets into like immediately from that point, once I heard that word subconscious, I kind of knew this would have been a metaphor for questioning who I am as a human being and where I come from and how deep Mm -hmm. does it go? How similar is artificial intelligence? Are memories linked to how I would react now? Can they be hidden from me yet still be accessed on a level that I'm not aware of? But somehow my body and other things that I take for granted that are going on in the background every day have access to that will try to protect me or Mm -hmm. at least make me aware, make me itch, make me do things that I just might think are normal gestures. So like you can get into existentialism and deep philosophical things right now, which is what immediately made me go really far with the show already. Cause yeah. I'm like, we're getting this very, very early. I couldn't like, believe the first episode. And I'm like, Whoa, I don't even think I hit the half an hour mark. And I'm like, Whoa, <laughs> well, my mind is racing right now that you're saying artificial intelligence is doing this. So I question myself as a human being, what am I accessing? Are my gestures when I smile, did my mother have me near a stove? So when I, uh, and drop me on my head, When I was by a stove, (laughs) so when I go to cook, I get headaches now. Like, Yeah,
2: you're bringing up such amazing things, Jamal. Um, This is exactly what I was thinking, too. What does it mean to be human? How many of these things have to add up before these people are not just artificial intelligence anymore? They even call them beings. So to experience emotion— to have that emotion linked to memories, to be able to recall memories and have a subconscious, to have an interconnection with other human beings. You know, these are all sort of to have an awareness of your own existence. These are all things that make up being human. And we're already getting a lot of those things going on with our hosts. Now, clearly, when we meet Dr. Ford very shortly on, he talks about he's been working on these things ever since the first generation they've come so far. That hasn't happened overnight. That hasn't just happened in his last program update. This has been going on gradually for a while now that he's been making them more lifelike and human. So you have to wonder how many of these steps were taken. How much do we really know? Um, how much is he putting in there and not telling people? Because we're mm-hmm. going to see a lot of issues later. Yeah. And how human have they really become?
3: And it goes back to what you were saying, Christina, with uh, how important the questions they were asking at the opening of this episode, mm-hmm. how specific they were. Yeah. When I was hearing about the subconscious, now it's like, do you ha- do you see repetition in your work? These questions are very specific because they are kind of worried how human are these things? Think about you working on these things over and over again. You're you're asking these specific questions because you might yourself start questioning, like as a doctor, if I'm creating something like this, the questions he's asking might be even related to his mortality, him thinking the same thing we're talking about. As someone who's creating it, you yeah. have to think of what would my mind be like if I'm seeing artificial intelligence kind of display human behaviors and I know I'm just updating and programming I might start questioning what a, what is a soul
0: yeah like I'm asking yeah. you
3: dude because I, I get deja vu all the time i I question that's just these gas. Are questions I might have for myself mm-hmm. right
2: yeah. And it's, it's it indicates what he's worried about and what he thinks could happen. So I am going to guarantee that a lot of these questions come directly from Robert Ford because of what he's worried about with these beings. And we're going to get into that in our next scene also.
1: Real quick, I just want to talk about Bernard. You can see the artist in him. He is the affectations of a person, the way they move, the way they talk, even when he's speaking... To Teresa, which I think is a uh, scene later. Yeah. He's like, what's that? When you get mad, but you're trying to stay professional. And, oh, and I not,
2: love that. The
1: thing you do with your brow. Can I record that?
2: I love that.
1: So as an artist, he's really, that's what he sees. You know, a, a painter sees light. And this guy sees, you know, movements in the body. And, and that's his art. I think that's beautiful.
2: Yeah, and we kind of brushed right past in this scene he was talking to Elsie, played by Shannon Woodward. You know, they tell us that she is a behavioral technician, but we find out along the way she's responsible specifically for diagnosing odd behaviors in hosts. And we're going to see some of her own human emotions or even weaknesses as they play into oh, the yes. hosts that, Absolutely. that are here. Now we move quickly into seeing Teresa... She is our quality assurance head.
1: I don't like her.
2: <laughs> She's a difficult character right off the bat. She certainly comes off as smart, but very hard, a little bit cold. <clears throat> She's coming in to notify Bernard of an active host in cold storage where decommissioned hosts are stored. So Bernard and the security chief Stubbs His head down to investigate, and they encounter a flooded basement filled with naked, deactivated hosts lined up in rows.
1: All right. So right away, we get this dark world. There's It's water everywhere. It's definitely an old mall. It's got to be.
2: Yeah, but it looks abandoned, dilapidated, oh, like they just built their structure right on top of that yeah. above ground. Almost let it go to rot. I mean, yeah. it's flooded. Things are falling apart. They even mention that management has bigger fish to fry, that they don't really care and they haven't given them the money to fix it up. You have this high-tech facility which clearly has
1: money. lots
2: of resources. They are just storing hosts whenever they can't use them anymore and making new ones, which yes. we find out costs a lot of money, and yet they can't repair the basement? Something <laughs> odd is something going on odd. there.
1: Yeah, and I think this is foreshadowing for something. These these dead hosts, or whatever you want to call them, they're not; they're just turned off.
2: Yeah. You know, they're just stored
1: away. And they look scary because they're kind of some of them their veins are showing, which is pretty amazing. They have veins. (laughs) And we do see that they're still functional because I'm skipping ahead, but Dr. Ford's talking to one.
2: Yeah, and they're really just behind a locked door. It almost looks like a warehouse or a Mm -hmm. garage that they've opened up on. You'd think they would be stored a little bit more securely. It's very bizarre. It's gonna cause a problem later, I'm sure of it. And they also mentioned at one point that it's a little bit like lobotomizing them. So you're not just shutting them off. You're decommissioning them. So when they talk about Peter Abernathy getting shut down later, she does say, yeah, basically we're going to lobotomize them. So, you know, I don't even think we're just wiping them. They're taking it to another level of Mm -hmm. kind of shutting off that brain function. And if they're doing that, how do they bring them back later and why why would they keep them around after yeah. they've gone that far on a decommission? Um I think Dr. Ford is doing more down there with these shut down hosts than just storing them.
1: You might be or right.
2: Or hanging out and having a drink with them. I think there's another <laughs> level of experimentation that he's playing around with
3: with these decommissioned. I agree. Definitely something seems off with them. And it's just like what Jason was saying with the artist. If the artist gets obsessed with facial structures, there was a whole incredible big argument going down. He skipped all of the politics of whatever they were arguing about. And like you could tell he would clearly win an argument because he can tell when someone's mad Mm-hmm. And they're holding it back, and their facial structures and everything. And he's obsessed with that, and it's part of his art. This is his creation. So you can only imagine how much so for Ford, who's down there with these people, what he wants to create oh, yeah. and what he might obsess about, and on, and the things he might know. And the company he was keeping company with this this host, oh, right? Yeah. Like yeah. talking. It was almost a bond there, and you know, there there must be more to it going on down there than he's even going to let on to.
2: Yeah, so Dr. Robert Ford is the park director, the creator, and like you said, we see him chatting with Old Bill, is this guy's name. We find out he was the second oldest host in the park. At this point, we don't know who the oldest is. Mm-hmm. He certainly looks it. And Ford is reminiscing about the early days of the park. So as... Involved in this new programming and updating, as he seems to be, Mm -hmm. he himself appears to prefer the older hosts.
0: Old Bill here was always a good listener. He was the second host we ever built. Were you with us in those days, Bernardo was that before your time? Most were decommissioned before I was brought on, I'm afraid. They repeated themselves, broke down constantly. A simple handshake would give them away. You put yourself away again, won't you, Bill? I saw the new gestures, the reveries. and are beautiful. The distance you've traveled from then till now, it's, uh, it's remarkable. Yeah, that's a word for it.
2: He talks about their flaws. You know, you can see that Bill is jerky in his movements. He says he used to repeat himself a lot. He would just kind of fritz out at certain times. Um, He looks a little bit robotic, but I think there's something that Ford prefers in this man to the newer model.
1: The analog to the digital, basically. He prefers the analog version. Uh, I do have to say, Ford, first of all, Anthony Hopkins, holy shit, he'll probably get an award. I know I'm just we've only seen him for one episode, but I'm I'm pretty sure that we're gonna be talking about him Yes. And you can see the pain in his eyes. He's not happy and there's gonna be a storyline evolving from him, yeah.
2: He looks beaten. He doesn't wanna be anywhere but in this dark, dank, flooded basement. With an old robotic host who's zipping himself up in a bag. It's bizarre. It is bizarre. We see here the key to shutting them down because he asked Bill to put himself away and go into a deep and dreamless slumber. A quote that we'll hear repeated Mm -hmm. later on as the key to turning them off. We also heard a little while back Stubbs, our security chief, talking about the host. And I think it was Elsie saying that, you know, they were shut down, it's all fine, and he says, you don't have kids at home, do you? Because if you do, you would know they all rebel eventually.
1: Ooh, foreshadowing.
2: Big time.
3: Yep.
1: Now, if they're... Okay, so we have PETA for animals, right? They're the ones that are the activists for animal oh, okay. cruelty yep. and things. Right, right, So right. in this world, do you think there's like a HIMA or something for... <laughs> These if are... if
2: they know about these, I think that's a totally gi- legitimate question. I think that's going to be a big question throughout the season. So it doesn't look like the guests to the park have any idea, no. inkling that these could be more than just machines. They are seeing it like going in and playing a video game, as you said before. Other than the man in black, they don't have a doubt in their minds which kind of takes away, in my mind, any culpability that you could put on them for doing things bad to the host because mm-hmm. it's not a person. Well, so I mean, if that's how the guests feel, the public probably doesn't know either.
3: Yeah. I mean, where are we? Are we Are we saying that these people are human? I don't know. I'm conflicted. I mean, it seems harsh enough what's happening to them. And, it, you know, it's like, you know, like to going back to like uh, Anthony Hopkins and what and Ford, sorry, what he was saying is about him liking the old days. You can almost imagine it to where we are now. Like the old days, you were imperfect. You know, there's not that many upgrades you can do. This is new. This is what you got. Right now, Women can have breast augmentation, butt implants, Botox, everything there's always an upgrade a human can have, and yes, everything's prettier, everything's perfect, everything can function the way, but at the end, you kind of might miss the old days when you knew what was real, when you knew what you know what was what and i it's almost like that's what he's going back to and now, with all these upgrades and all the things that they're doing and him adding in these other almost like psychological imperfections with this update or whatever he's doing, it's like they're becoming more human. So you have to wonder if they're becoming more human, is it because of what they might be doing to them? Or is it because of the repeat? Is it because of the subconscious? And if they're becoming more human, how much rights do they start gaining? Exactly. How bad, how much do you have to not keep it away from the public or the people who are coming to the park, but even from yourself? Yeah, when yeah. Do you have to grow a conscience.
2: I think it goes back to what you said before, because eventually you can't have a creator, one person, because it seems like Robert Ford has been here since the beginning. Yes, working on something, his own piece of artwork that doesn't eventually go beyond the mechanical. Mm-hmm. At some point, over enough time of him putting into these machines. He's going to wind up putting some of himself into those machines that he's creating. And they have to necessarily eventually start becoming more human. Then, like you said, they go through different experiences. We find out that hosts have played multiple roles in the park, which I think is a horrible mistake. Because it's almost like giving them a life that has stages, that has history, that has different memories attached that are supposedly wiped. But now we're finding out they're not really wiped another layer of humanity. And all these things built in together are just a recipe for disaster. And the other great point is that, yeah, so it's one thing if you're perpetrating actions Mm -hmm. that are immoral or wrong or whatever. against something that you think is a machine. But if you find out later you did that and it has any shred of humanity and you weren't told about it, who's wrong? Are you wrong when you didn't even know that was a human you were doing that to? Are the creators wrong because they knew what they were creating and they didn't tell you ahead of time? Like It's okay if we're creating these beings as long as we know they're beings and we're thinking about it that way and we're treating them that way. There's a purpose to we are creating human beings. Yes. But if you're creating human beings and still treating them like robots you've Mm. got a very serious problem and now you're lying to people on top of that
1: definitely but then you have to redefine what a human being is
2: yeah and i think we are going to find out eventually that bigger purpose that there is more of an experimentation going on here we know that management has other ideas than the money people
1: uh dr ford i have this is a hypothesis that may come true it's a guess let me just say that I'm guessing that Dr. Ford has created hosts that are mirrors of people he used to know in real life. So, people he's lost. Yeah. So maybe that guy he's having a drink with, that host, mm-hmm. is not just the second host that he's made. Maybe it's an old friend, uh, a depiction of his old friend, a remake of his old friend. And maybe there's a, a female somewhere in the in the host's. Probably one of our main characters excuse me, one of our main characters was uh, a wife of his or a love of his.
2: You gotta stop there because I had the same thought. And I as the episode went on, I was thinking to myself that he probably sees himself in Peter Abernathy. And Dolores, who we find out later is the main host, mm-hmm. the oldest host, meaning he created her first. There had to be a reason why. Why she was a younger female mm-hmm. It's very likely he had something in his mind that over time became reminiscent of somebody he knew. And I couldn't help thinking, is he the dad and this is his daughter? Oh,
3: shit. There you go. Because why is she still here after all this time?
2: Yeah.
3: Why is she not mechanical? He builds this
2: father to have such a love for her. His whole existence, he repeats it over and over again. He's there for her, for Mm -hmm. Dolores. He wouldn't have it any other way. There's so much humanity and emotion in that. That You have to think in order to create that, he must have experienced it.
1: You're right. There's a deeper thing with Dolores because she's not mechanical. So they just kept upgrading her.
2: Yeah, a lot.
1: Instead of just redoing another character. And um, my second thing I wanted to say is I'm thinking that as this show goes on and the more we get to know these hosts our feelings of are they human or not may change because I think we're going to have a deeper feeling for all them and we're going to view them as humans.
2: I think that's absolutely why the TV show has changed where people say the movie was more from the guest's point of view. Mm -hmm. I think they have changed to make this more from the host's point of view so that you do relate to them and feel things on another level and come to root for them instead of the guests. Okay, after this scene... Dolores and Teddy begin their day again. Here's where we see another repeat. But things have slightly changed. Mm. So Teddy spots Dolores, but this time he's (laughs) intercepted by a guest who recognizes him from a previous trip. This time around, Dolores drops her can, but the man in black picks it up. He hands it to her and tells her he has other plans for tonight before he goes up to the poker table at the Mariposa. So we're starting to find out there are different storylines. Small changes within them can seem to affect the course of the narrative to a certain extent.
1: Butterfly effect.
2: Yeah, almost like playing a telltale game. Mm, Depending on what you choose, you might wind up at a bit of a different result, but still within some very strict parameters. There's only small deviations that can be made. And we also find out that guests can change the storyline with their action, but not hosts. Okay. so if there's a deviation with the host, it's only because guests are doing something differently and it's affecting them and they're responding in preset ways.
1: Two questions. Supposedly. (laughs) We know guests more than likely stay more than one day.
2: Yeah, it seems like they must.
1: But they're the hosts are on a day cycle. But there's so much to do, I guess you don't even realize unless you go through your same steps as a guest. But you probably wouldn't. Right.
2: Yeah, and it seems like the host, so if guests do things differently, they mm-hmm. they might start the same day, but they could wind up at these very different endings we see later on, depending yes. on what storyline they get involved in.
1: And uh, other question, Teddy. So he died, so he ended up back on the train the yeah. next day. If he doesn't die, does he not end up on the train every day? Does he start at a different starting point?
2: I don't know. He's, no, he's, I think he
1: does, because... Dolores, well, she didn't die the first night. She got raped. Yeah, Teddy
2: dies both these nights, so it's hard to tell. But I was going to say, why does he keep getting sent back in? But she does mention at some point their storylines are linked. There are certain people in the park that are set to be pairs, the man in black tells us. Yes. Um, And we'll see why.
1: Here comes the man in black. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but for now, we go over to a guest couple who decides to join the sheriff on a bounty hunt for notorious criminal Hector Escatón. This is our first introduction to this kind of seemingly cute couple that's come here together. So now we know that it's for solo people. It's for families. It's for couples. And later we're going to see for bachelors. There's all kinds. But on this storyline, the sheriff starts to glitch out. This is our first introduction to the real disturbance going on here, and we can't fail to notice that every time this happens, there seems to be a fly. Whoever's glitching or shutting down or whatever has a fly.
1: I I was thinking, is the fly some kind of virus? Like, is the head dude controlling it, Dr. Ford, or is it someone else controlling it? And that fly is kind of like a computer virus, maybe.
2: I thought that was a really awesome thought, and I wasn't sure right up until the end because they all ignore the fly, no matter what it's doing, when it's walking across their eyeball, until the very end of this episode when Dolores swats the fly yep. without hesitation. a moment's hesitation because part of what they ask them is, would you hurt another living thing, any other living thing?
1: Ooh. And the answer's
2: supposed to be no, and they never do until she does.
1: She kind of has a smirk. Kind of, just a
2: slight... So I wonder if it's a test to see if they will hurt it, and that could be an indication that there's a problem.
0: Oh. Uh Pretty Um, much.
2: But we see a pretty severe glitch happening with the sheriff. I mean, he almost looks like he's having a seizure. Yes. He's shutting down. It really disturbs the couple who decides that they don't want any more of this. They want to head back. Bernard conducts the recalled host diagnostics, and is accosted by Lee Sizemore, the parks head of narratives. This is played by Simon Quarterman. Okay. So yeah, we meet the narrative director here, and he's ranting, he's concerned that pulling the host will disrupt disrupt the storylines. I forget what it was, 10%. Right. Maybe Something
1: that like had that. been
2: updated, that would have to be pulled, but that's gonna cause a huge ripple effect to what's happening in their storylines. That'd be if a lot of changes. If they have to changes. pull more than one, yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, before we move on. Yeah. One thing, because this, you know, there's so much happened in this episode that we are skipping on purpose, but one thing that we've missed is the two scenes with Teddy in the bar when he first comes in. hmm And that's when you get to see Clementine, and it looks like she's, what's the word for uh, hooker? Uh...
2: Yeah, she's like a charlatan, charlatan, uh, something a saloon girl.
1: You still smell fresh or new, but um, then we see Maeve, who is a huge actress in the world. And Newton? what's that?
3: Is that Thandie Newton? Yes. yes.
1: And I know for a point, a fact. The way her character already is, she's a very strong character, strong willed. Mm-hmm. I think she's going to be the main. I guess you would say antagonist to the creators.
2: Yeah, well, like you said, the two times that we saw the saloon... And you saw Clementine responding to each newcomer in the same exact way. Right. She almost had this computerized feel to her. Yeah. Whereas Sandy was standing there, and I couldn't tell at first if she was a host or not. She seemed very aware and alert, more yeah. like a regular person.
3: So and also ignoring almost right, like ignoring certain things, yeah, attention to certain things, like
2: not really propositioning the men. Um, we do find out that she's more of like. Ahead, so Clementine is one of her girls.
1: Okay. She's
2: like the headmistress. But I don't know, something seems different about her. And with such a big actress, you have to think she's going to play a larger role. Yep.
1: And I have a feeling her and maybe Dolores are going to be the only actresses we don't see boobs.
2: Yeah, I don't think you will. Yeah. Sad. (laughs) Um,. So back to Bernard, he is ensuring Teresa that the host's core code is intact, meaning he can't harm a guest. Mm-hmm. You know he's all right. So slightly reassured, she allows Bernard to run his diagnostic and see what's going on.
1: I'm just reminded of iRobot when they're like they have their core codes, yeah, or their core they rules. They will hurt people. They cannot hurt people.
2: We're so ignorant. Oh. <laughs> Then we go to see a group of bachelors enjoying some of the more salacious offerings. Um, They're out in a different ranch together. And Teddy seems to be along for the ride, sitting there with them. And they're talking about going off on another trip. And this is where we kind of get the idea that Teddy is a host for a lot of these. Right. A guide. And across the park, Dolores paints by the river. And she's approached by a family. She starts talking to the son and leads him over to get a closer look at one of the horses. And she's perplexed when he turns and asks her very quickly and seemingly out of the blue, you're one of them, aren't you? You're not real.
1: Kids can be so rude.
2: How does he know? Because she looks and is acting so lifelike. Yeah. This is his first encounter with her. What's tipping them off? Like. They make it obvious that the guests know very easily who's a host and who is not. Because like Jamal was saying before, it doesn't seem like guests are allowed to hurt guests. But how do they even know the difference? Right. What if they think they're harming a host and it's another guest? I mean...
1: I guess if it feels like a storyline, if it feels like they live there, that's their home, then they must be hosts.
2: I don't know. If you just saw somebody from a distance and you decide... This is a western. I want to shoot somebody. That's my right here. But it's
1: they
3: all look human. So (laughs) I would have said that you know because she's there painting the landscape. You got this whole world. Why would you do that? But a um, boring person like Jason would definitely, or even you. You're an artist. Imagine I would do that. Western world. You would paint like where she was was so beautiful. That if you can paint within that world, I would definitely that do that. You can take it with you. Imagine that there was some kind of concession where you can take that with you when you leave. That would be even more amazing. That's a place
2: nobody else can see. We're actually going to talk about that later. If you could go to this world, would you and what would you do? What would your experience be like? So, yeah, I mean, there was nothing that tipped me off here, but I think they are probably going to tell us more about that because it seems like the guests do pick up on certain mannerisms that maybe we're not seeing here and they're yeah. able to distinguish mm-hmm. even as a child.
1: I think what's more important about this scene is that the look on Dolores's face, it almost um, feels like she had, it, like it hurt her for a second.
2: Yeah, she was offended.
1: So I was like, it- she can feel, that means she has feelings, you know?
3: It, that was one of the most amazing scenes. to Well, it was very subtle, but I thought it was one of the most important and amazing scenes. It's her knowing that he's right, trying to brush it off is what I got for her to continue the conversation.
2: And she Almost shouldn't like, even know what he's talking about.
3: Right. But she was like, like... Almost like when you say something to someone that they know is real and they're just trying to be pleasant. So they need to like there's so much human in that reaction.
2: Well, guys, you want to talk about human and crazy. I got to stop you there because we go right to this next scene (laughs) where her father, Peter Abernathy, discovers a photo in the dirt while he's tending his herd. Now, people questioned if this was put there. I don't think it was it really didn't look obvious to me like he kicked it up by accident. It right. was really buried underneath there. And it's an image of a woman in Times Square. He takes it back and he shows it to Dolores when she gets home. A question, a question you're not
0: supposed to ask Give an answer. You're not supposed to know. What's wrong, Dad? Would you like to know?
2: Found it, right the fact that it looks foreign, he doesn't understand. Where are these people? Um, and she just says several times, "Doesn't look like anything to me."
3: Why is it bothering him? Where the fuck? Why did it come is from he question?
2: Why is he questioning it? Because most normal artificial creations here would just look at this picture and say exactly what she said. I don't know. It doesn't look like anything. I don't understand. But he is looking at it knowing something's not right, knowing to question it, that he's never seen any place like that. So even that question is only prompted if they're at another level they're not supposed to be. And he will talk about that
3: in a couple of scenes. Well, this is what I mean. It was bothering me so much. Oh, not bothering me. Like, I knew they put it there. Where did it come from? When was it there? You answered the question for me when you said, if that somehow ford's real life daughter and he put that there
0: Mm. in
3: order to see what would happen and i only thought of that when you started talking about could it be the daughter and that would be my only thought did ford put that there because that is him
2: to see the reaction all
3: of himself in there and is that his real daughter and is that why it's
2: a recreation (coughs) of his real daughter he's trying to remake her
3: Well, what I mean, the picture, what if the picture is the real daughter of Ford and Ford put it there because he's put so much of himself into this thing. Maybe even some of the memories, the older memories are somehow downloaded into this thing and he wants to see what that would do. Would it bring out a human reaction?
2: And the question is, is Ford's master goals something entirely different from management's master goals? So we find out in the next scene, uh, Sizemore comes and he's trying to apologize to Teresa um, and admits there never should have been an update. He actually thinks it would be smart to roll them back a little bit, have them be a little bit more like they were when they were older. They're too lifelike now. People don't want to come here and commit violence on things that look human. He's bringing up all the things we're saying, like, wouldn't it be better if you kind of knew a little more that they were robots and you could be a little freer? But he goes a little too far by saying he knows that management goals are different from the people that are paying to come to the park and bringing the money in. But she shoots him down and makes him look like an idiot by saying, oh, you're smart enough to know that, but you don't know what their plans actually are. And she doesn't reveal that to us. But they have other interests besides fulfilling the guest's desires. So this brings up the question, what is the plan by management? And how close or far are Ford's plans to that?
1: I don't think we'll learn it fully this season.
2: So I immediately thought that management's plan was an experiment for a greater purpose than just to fulfill people's desires, that that's how they were getting the money to be able to experiment. Mm -hmm. Did they want to eventually use these things as weapons? Was there an idea to have larger scale artificial intelligence? Is there something wrong with our population that we might have to evolve into artificial intelligence eventually whatever their plans are i think Ford's are different and they are more personal like we've been saying some kind of loss or something he's trying to recreate so you've got a lot of different goals happening here in yeah. one park that are bound to clash
1: that's what happens even into just
3: wanting to bring these sentient beautiful beings into households right why can't they play character and roles in the real life certainly i'd make mine go to work for me God, look, look <laughs> well, a slave owner, I, like, I'm so offended right
2: now. <laughs> OK, we go back to the overview here where Elsie tells Bernard there's a serious problem with one of the hosts, and they find Walter, the host who has rampaged the Abernathy farm amidst a horrific slaughter not scripted in his narrative. Teresa mandates all updated hosts be recalled, and Bernard briefs Ford with the news about his mistakes. We'll take this piece by piece. First of all, we find this Walter guy, who was first part of the shoot 'em up There was that twosome that went and attacked the Abernathy ranch. Right. But it was the other head guy that was doing the shooting and drinking the milk and all that nonsense at the Abernathy farm. Now it's his cohort. The partner that's perpetrating the violence. Mm -hmm. And he's pouring milk all over everybody. So what's going on with him? He clearly didn't forget. He He remembered that.
1: Yeah, you're right. Well, what's up with milk? What's up with them and milk?
2: Well, that's what I mean. He <laughs> saw the first guy when they attacked the Abernathy ranch, pouring the milk. And he yep. must have remembered that on yeah. some level because now he's doing that when he's attacking people, even though that's supposed to be wiped.
1: Yeah. And he's like, I found another milk and starts pouring it in his mouth. And he's like,
2: you're a growing, a growing boy. boy. Oh, that was so dark. God. It was a
1: great scene. Dark, it was almost like a, a horror movie there.
2: Oh, he was scary.
1: So, yes, we're seeing remnants of what the issue is. There, we know that it has to do with memories, and it has to do with Dr. Ford and Bernard don't have as much control as they think they do. But I don't think it's their stuff that's messing it up. I'm, I have a feeling it's the bitch Teresa and her cohorts yeah. that are putting in little things that are fucking the shit up.
2: I don't know. It's, it's so, we don't know enough yet. She They're certainly painting her to be serving different masters. But Can we talk
1: about her real quick? Sure. You, showed, you uh, pointed this out to me, and now I can't stop hearing it. The actress who plays Teresa, it feels like sometimes she has an accent, and sometimes she's hiding the accent to make it more American. Yeah, it as feels an like actor. she's
2: trying to cover it, but I don't know why.
1: Yeah. So if you guys listen to her talk, maybe they fix it by episode two, but it, it feels a little off.
2: There's something weird about that.
1: Which is weird because everyone else's acting is like above par, it's amazing. How good everyone's doing.
2: Yeah, and I don't know if she's being instructed to act this way. It's mm. not really all clicking for me. She's supposed to be really hard and cold, but sometimes the way she stands, I and maybe they're telling her this, like there's this other layer underneath her mm-hmm. that she's feeling insecure and Maybe depressed. she's a host. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, back to that actor who played the guy that's shooting him up here. He was terrifying in this. They cut him off though. They shut him down immediately. So they're watching everything. Yeah. 24/7 cuz the moment this happens, he's frozen, the lights turn on, they run in. I mean, it seemed like they were able to get there very quickly. Mm-hmm. So where you said if it it's this whole huge
1: World, how would they get there so quick? Real life-size
2: world. They were almost able to walk on like a movie set. Almost from the map. The minute they saw him engaging in this because it hadn't been that long from what we saw.
1: I love how in that scene, instead of like shooting him, it just freezes. Yeah. That was so impactful. Way better. I love that.
2: Yeah, so they pause him, they take him out of the narrative right away, and this is when Teresa says every host that's had that update has to be recalled, no matter what it does to the script. Sizemore, you got to figure it out because this is not okay. And then Bernard goes to talk to Ford about this, and Ford pretty much says, call it what it is. It's a mistake. But now he starts talking on this other level about the work they're doing here, how far they've come. You know, he mentioned, look how far they've come since Bill. And Ford says, one day we might even resurrect the dead.
1: Yeah. Oh.
2: Isn't that the key there? Yeah. Is that what he's trying to do in some form? Resurrect a dead that he's lost? You, you know? might be
1: right. I think you found something on that. We might see that come to fruition. Uh, in that scene, I think something very important is to see the, the relationship, the dichotomy of the relationship between Dr. Ford and Bernard.
2: Yeah, student teacher.
1: Yes, and lots of respect amongst each other for each other. You know the way Doctor Ford's talking. He's like, um, "You don't know what's you don't know what's wrong yet." That doesn't happen with you. That's unusual. Or you're just trying to be too polite to tell me what's wrong.
2: Yeah, but even more from Bernard to Ford, he sees him as a visionary, a genius, yes. an artist. Whereas Ford says this is as good as we're going to get. Mm -hmm. Like something is frightening him here. He's lost this visionary beauty that he once saw in this world, but Bernard still has it. He still sees things in that idealistic view and wants to be part of this. Yeah.
1: I love him. uh, He's not jaded yet. I love, he tells Bernard, I'm going to fucking kill it, destroy what he said. But, uh, you know, at first it sounded like a slight saying that Bernard was a mistake. Mm. But then he says we're all built off of mistakes. Yeah. Mother Nature makes the mistakes and adjusts, and we grow as beings or even creatures. I mean, think about squirrels. They were having issues going up and down trees. So Mother Nature made it where their claws can invert.
2: Another cue that he's trying to make them more natural, more human-like, that mistakes should be a part of what they are. Whereas machines, ideally, they would not have anything resembling a mistake.
1: Very deep scene, and I think it's deep-rooted, and I think we're going to see the meaning behind that soon.
2: So next, we go over to Kissy, the poker dealer, who's walking out of the Mariposa and is seized by the man in black, who slits his throat right away, and he takes him off to a cliff somewhere seemingly out in the middle of nowhere, yeah. and he interrogates him till near death. I mean, the man looks awful. And he tells him there's a deeper level to this game, and you're going to show me how to get there. And when Kissy doesn't respond, he scalps him. Ugh. Now, did it look to you like Kissy was trying to throw himself off of the cliff over the cliff? I think he was point? trying
1: to get away, and then he saw that it was
3: a cliff and stopped. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I was thinking I'm I'm conflicted with that because it me looked too. like both, it yeah. almost looked like an abort mission for this guy. Oh, you might and be yeah, right. Because, you know, it's like...
2: Just make it stop, right? Shut it down? Yeah,
3: let me get out of here because, I mean, this guy's been here from the beginning of when this park was open, 30 years. He knows some shit, huh?
1: Yeah, what's up with this guy being uh, a guest for that long? You probably shouldn't be allowed to be a guest that long. You you lose your humanity.
2: He knows some
3: shit, man.
2: As amazing as this park is, Mm -hmm. you don't want to keep coming back for 30 years just to... Shoot guns, ride horses. Dear god. I mean, he's paid tons Great of money.
1: Woman.
2: He wants the bigger thing. He thinks the creator, the person who came up with this, had a deeper game. Mm-hmm. So he's seeing what Ford put in there, that there's another level, and that's what he wants to access. And I don't think it's a mistake that he scalped Kissy he knew the secret to them is somewhere within their mind or their brain or what should be up there and he wanted to find it and we do see that pattern there that looks like how they are programmed or function there's something underneath the scalp so what is he going to learn from looking at yeah. that
1: yeah i wonder what's if maybe that's the brain the real brain it's like for the, the computer computer
2: hard drive or yeah. something
1: but what is he going to do like take it back with them and study it
2: I think this is going to be one step in many of him uncovering that.
1: Is the man in black working for Teresa and her cohorts? Hmm. Hmm. He's in all black. We know he's bad. In a movie, if you're in all black, you're bad. I think
2: they're trying (laughs) to show us that, and they're painting him very evil right off the bat. The Mm -hmm. fact that he keeps going to Dolores, that he probably raped her. But if this other game that's going on is more sinister... Mm Mm-hmm. And he's trying to uncover it to reveal those things. I could see him. You think he's bad now, but that idea flipping later?
3: Yeah, you might be right. That'd be nice. Could be. I mean, shoot, but a guy in all black and a Western is definitely to <laughs> make him out that way. So definitely. Too
2: much, right?
3: Off. Yeah, like it's just.
2: Too much.
3: Yeah, it's so off the bat. Like, I mean, this guy rapes like, oh, it's not as good as if you don't fight. Like, so we were made to hate this guy immediately.
2: And there's no way it's going to be that black and white. No. Well, now when Dolores wakes up, she discovers her father is still on the porch looking at that photograph. And he tells her something that we're going to get to later. A quote that's going to open up more questions. Attempting to fill the narrative holes that will be left by the recalled host, Lee has figured out what he's going to do about this. So he informs the team that he fixed the narrative so Hector can come to town early and they watch as the action unfolds in the park. So this is Hector, played by Rodrigo Santoro. He is the permanent most wanted bandit in the park.
1: He's fucking cool. I like that character. Yeah.
2: Well, he certainly arrives in epic fashion. Uh, <laughs> Lee did this on purpose. He knew because of all the problems of taking away these hosts, they were going to have to put something amazing in there. So, yes. get the people what they want a big shoot 'em up, right? I mean, that's the typical cliche Western thing to do. Yeah. So, a group of mysterious riders arriving in Sweetwater are revealed to be Hector and his gang. They hold up the saloon and gunfire erupts in the street. This is when Teddy gets caught in the crossfire and we see Hector's men stealing the safe from inside the saloon. A guest shoots Hector right as he begins this big speech. So he starts to say it. He takes him out, and Sizemore is clearly crushed because he's written this amazing speech that he wants to get yes. to, and it doesn't happen. I love that these small little things are building this character of this man that's, you know, kind of petty in certain ways yeah. and a little immature.
1: <laughs> but I didn't see that coming at all. And even the, the whole scene, even before he shot one of his goons on the inside, was like, "There, there's probably not much in that. Safe, mm-hmm. so we might as well get what we can, which is when he's uh, going to grab Clementine. And then you see his face get blown off.
2: Oh, like crazy. Yeah.
1: From behind from Maeve, because she's a badass bitch.
2: I know, that little gun blew that huge hole in his face? Yeah,
1: I guess so. And that's when the blood gets splattered on that piano that HBO rebuilt.
2: We also get our first look at the character Armistice, who's with him, played by Ingrid Birdall. Mm -hmm. She's his uh, other.
3: She's a good shot. Bad, bad, bad old broad.
2: But it all wraps up here, and the storyline complete, they're starting to clean up, and Elsie comes to help clean the wreckage and pull the remaining updated hosts. This Mm -hmm. is when she puts Dolores out of her misery, it seems, early. She just shuts her down because well, she's weeping over yeah. Teddy's dead body. So this
1: is the second time that we hear this saying because Dr. Ford used it in the beginning of the episode. Deep and dreamless slumber. That yeah. shuts them down. Yep. Uh let's not let's not forget the the <laughs> the way the guest after he shoots Hector, how he's all giddy and he's like
2: I oh, shot him couple. I shot
1: him. <sighs> Quick, let's get a picture. Yeah, he calls his wife over. This is like
2: what he's been looking for, right? This experience, it seems, where he can show her he's tough. And, you know, it's cute.
1: I think the show needed to... To give us that scene to remind us that this is supposed to be like a fun place for the visitors.
2: And there's certain very real people here who are only doing this. This is not something they would ever do in their normal life because they think there's no harm in it.
1: Yeah, it's an open world game.
2: This man would have been horrified to find out that these people could potentially have feelings or memories. He would have never done that.
3: And it also shows you that anything can happen. You could plan out the storyline from the creator's point of view, but you do still have guests. All of them are running in there and hiding to enjoy the show. But one guest can come out there and just mess the whole yep. storyline up that potentially was supposed to wrap up multiple people.
1: Yeah, it was supposed
2: and to be in this
3: epic speech.
2: Many of those storylines, you have to figure this is not going to be the man who will be the hero. Of
1: course, yeah. Right, Jamal, did you ever play Grand Theft Auto?
3: Loved Grand Theft Auto. How many
1: times were you, like, just running down the street and you just started punching people?
3: Of course. Like, right away. I had the first <laughs> original game. i just run around, off mission, punch, shoot, do what I gotta do.
1: Do the special code, get the bazooka, and just start shooting everything, shooting Rolling helicopters everything down.
3: Everything to shit, cops, everybody coming after me. Because you can, you know, in a world like that, it allows freestyle. So, they came up with this whole thing to wrap it up, and it was just like, whoa. Boom. This idiot. Maybe next time. Yep.
2: Okay. We have the last two scenes. I think we're going to have a lot to discuss. So let me go through the first one is where behavior and quality assurance interview all the updated hosts. So they're looking at them to figure out what's going on. And the one we see is the interview with Peter Abernathy, where he's demonstrating abnormal behavior. So Ford comes to analyze him himself. And Peter starts glitching and reciting lines that we find are from a previous build. This is where we learn that some of the hosts have participated in other storylines as other characters. And Peter is one of them. He's been a sheriff before he was Dolores' father. And before that, he played a professor. Who was part of a dinner party turned horror narrative mm-hmm. where a group of cultists turned cannibal?
0: What is your name? Rose. Is it Rose? Is it Rose? What is your itinerary? To meet my maker. Well, you're in luck. And what you want to say to your maker? My most mechanical and dirty hand. (laughs) I shall have such revenges on you both. I know not. But they will be the terrors of the earth. You don't know where you are, do you? You're in a prison of your own sins. Turn it off. Dark. (laughs) Yeah.
2: So you have really complex levels of a
1: personality As
2: intelligent professor and then somebody who's part of this very twisted plot storyline mm-hmm. to the law upholding man that they've let him keep some of those memories now that he's Dolores's father because he tells her a bunch about when he used to be a lawman and she says you're always telling us those stories about yeah. back when you used to be sheriff so they've left him some of that and clearly more than they intended to because now he's reciting these lines, and nobody knows what it means until Ford hears it. And Bernard actually recognizes the danger here, that these hosts are able to access the memory. And he says, we're miles beyond a glitch here. This is when they decide to lobotomize Peter and decommission him to cold storage.
1: First of all, Peter, the, the acting, what's, who's the actor's name? Louis? Louis. Hurtham?
2: Her- yes, uh, yeah, Lewis Hurtham.
1: His acting was amazing when he was, they shut him off, then turn him back on, and he's supposed to have like memories wiped, and shut him off, turn him back on. And the way he was able to turn from like sad and scared to happy and blissful. I am the father of my daughter. I will protect Dolores to. That professor, angry, Shakespearean speech. And he's acting... And I will rain down on you.
2: He's acting like a robot. He's doing those jerky movements with the vacant stare to, like you said, murderous. To later on, he looks like he's crying. Yeah. This man is so expressive. I'm going to talk about him more in a few minutes. But this was an excellent scene where we really do see the issue that, especially with giving them multiple storylines... They could create a history over time, Mm -hmm. and by being able to call back on that, who knows what can happen? And is this the case with other hosts? Now, Dolores has been a host for well over 30 years. Does she have other storylines from her past, other builds, so to speak?
1: Of course. You know she does. She's the oldest.
2: Yeah, but maybe they have always liked her in that role. I mean, that's certainly going to influence things, I think, depending on...
3: My whole thing was... When they were asking the question, it seems that the host Peter was unplugged from the matrix, realized almost where he was in the real world, yeah. and was given all of them a warning. This sure. didn't like he's using the Shakespeare line, but he's expressing to them almost that he knows what's going on. And they will have to pay for what they're all doing there. Like, yeah. it almost yeah. seemed like the room kind of got that understanding. Like, yeah, we got to decommission this guy because the awareness, he's unplugged. He's not in the Western world, but his awareness seems to be transpiring that. And it's like he's telling us, like, I know what's going on yeah, here. What you guys are doing to us. These violent
2: says. delights have violent ends. Yeah. yeah so like, you've been, been perpetrating hurt on my daughter on people here that are real people, and you will meet some serious consequences for that
3: the the memory of that picture has now unplugged them almost and he's now aware of his his reality now it seems yeah. that, and that's what i
2: got from that. ford tried to just kind of smooth over that by saying oh this is very explainable at one point in time he used to be this wacky professor blah 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 we'll decommission him it's fine but like we said bernard realizes it's not that simple yes. this is happening we have really big problems here So finally in our last scene, we go over to Dolores finishing up her interview with Stubbs to affirm that her core code is intact, and she promises she would never hurt a living thing. But they give us this last scene of her the next morning on the ranch where a fly walks across her neck and she swats at it without a moment's hesitation. They also tell us that she's been repaired so many times, she is practically brand new. There's no need to worry. She's the most optimistic, and has this view of Westworld that's yeah. unshakably positive. Supposedly.
1: Supposedly.
3: Now, guys, to go back, did was Peter crying when he was being decommissioned? He was oh,
2: crying leading up that, yeah. to yeah. the decommission.
3: So he was walking in there crying. Yeah. Well, he wasn't until, crying
1: until Bernard whispers something
2: that we don't to know to Peter
1: that we don't
3: know. And that's but, when he starts crying. Yep. But this thing is crying in the real world. Yep. Wow.
2: That's actually going to be part of my next segment that we talk about.
1: Do you think Peter may be the head of the revolt in that room? He might be the head of if these guys, these decommissioned hosts start rebelling. Yeah. He might be the head of that.
2: Or maybe Ford wakes him up.
1: Oh, he, he needs wants an army. He to talk to him. Ooh, is Ford creating an army in case... He's
2: decommissioning the ones he wants.
1: In case everyone else goes against him. He has his own army of hosts.
2: Or for whatever purpose he wants. Maybe he's only decommissioning the ones he wants down there.
1: Well, also, Peter represents Dr. Ford, if you think that Dolores is his daughter. Yeah. So it's a, he has a special place in his heart. Oh.
2: So before we go to our general thoughts about the episode, I want to read you guys this because this might spark some more discussion. I thought this was a good wrap-up. There were so many things that we got, so many questions answered, but definitely a ton that were posed in a good way. Mm -hmm. So I found an article by Gizmodo that highlights the 15 questions for this season after seeing the premiere what the top questions on their mind are for Mm -hmm. season one. Okay, so number one, how does the park's timeline work? Number two, are there any rules for the guests? Just kind of like what we talked about before, what goes on guest to guest, not to host. Okay. Number three, what prevents the guests from hurting each other? We talked about that. Number four, where is the park located in real life? And, you know, what's the size of it, like we said? Number five, who is Ed Harris the gunslinger really and what is his deal? Number six, what was the critical failure that happened 30 years ago? Does it in fact go back to the original 1973 movie or was it something else? And thus leading us into number seven, is the 73 movie part of the show's canon, period? Number eight, is there a Roman world and a medieval world somewhere? Number nine, what are the real plans for the park? And I think this means management level. Number 10, is Dr. Ford's new programming what's really causing the host problem or is it something else? Number 11, why does the park save the hosts at all? The decommissioned ones. Number 12, what is the deal with the photo that Peter finds? Number 13, what did Bernard say to Dolores' dad before putting him away? What did he say to Peter that made him cry? Number 14, what is the significance of Dolores being the oldest host in the park? And number 15, what was on the inside of that scalp?
1: All right, so we actually asked those questions as well.
2: We posed most of them, so I'll just pose you the three that weren't on there that I thought to myself, which is, why is everyone afraid to be out after dark? What happens then? Um, Why do the hosts interact with each other when no guests are around to see it? This is something you brought up, too.
1: Not at... um specifically why but it's important to realize that they do um yeah i guess why but it means that there's more to them than just robotic i would
2: definitely say why because if they're just robots following a script if the script isn't going on there's no reason for them to continue conversing and interacting that shows some level of desire for this connection with each other yeah uh which i think is important and do the hosts lie to the creators' questions? Jason, this was your question. So when they're being interviewed at the end, yeah. is Dolores being truthful or can she act programmed and just answer their questions right? That's what I'm wondering. But untruthfully. Because we haven't learned that it's part of their programming to be honest with them, to not lie. Right. They never mentioned that. sure it that. is,
1: though. Maybe they don't know the concept of lies or they at least the crew thinks that they don't know.
2: In this kind of world, the West world, um, there was also just... A remember they say
1: off script, so lying is probably off script.
2: Right. Uh, there was also just a clever statement made at one point that I think is going to have bigger overall significance where Dolores and Teddy are looking out on the herd of steer mm-hmm. earlier on in the episode, and one is walking on his own, and she tells him that's the Judas steer. Wherever he goes, the rest will follow.
1: Hmm.
3: Oh, yeah. That, that is deep. Yeah. I forgot about that. Wherever he goes, the rest will follow. I think uh, a good movie to look at to reference some of these questions and thoughts that we might explore in this is uh, Ex Machina. Yeah. Have yeah. yeah, seen that movie? Of course. Yeah. But that is That is a very good movie to kind of explore what artificial intelligence can grow to what they can learn manipulation like you were just asking about lion and you know that that's a good movie to kind of bring into this as far as what's going on
1: yeah
2: definitely and i think the show itself calls in a lot of references to other popular culture and maybe some other classical cultures we're going to explore in a minute so did you guys have any other questions that i didn't talk about here Coming out of
1: this. Hector, his leather coat, it looks like Edward hand's coat.
2: Yeah, it did.
1: I don't know if anyone else noticed that. It definitely it did. It's just kind of funny. And, no, uh, it didn't. Um, something to keep in mind always, deep and endless slumber, mm. which I already said, yeah. but just keep that in mind. And I just love where Hector goes, The lesson is... <laughs> and then he's just shot. I just wanted to relive that again.
2: You also said you thought you noticed something else about Peter when they were putting him away.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it's true. I took a screenshot of it. His chest, I guess, collarbone, it looked like there was indentations of a W.
2: Like a scar-shaped W almost on the collarbone. Yeah.
1: But I didn't see any of the other hosts without their shirt on with a W. So it might have just been the lighting or, or just uh, Luis's body.
2: Yeah, it was interesting, though. It was definitely noticeable when you said it to me. So, worth mentioning. Okay, you want to get into our rating for this episode? Our reverie rating?
1: Yes. Mr. Robot, we have bot ratings.
2: Yep. Game of Thrones, we had...
1: Raven ratings. Raven ratings. And now we have reverie ratings. Reveries.
2: Ravens, robots, and reveries. We're going to try to stick with this R theme if we can possibly manage it. And I'll go first to say I give this a 9.5 reveries because I absolutely loved it. It gave me almost everything I could ever want. Mm -hmm. I just don't want to go too high because I anticipate this show will continue to surprise me. Yes. And I'll continue to love it more and more. So I want room to grow.
1: I'm giving it a 9.6. Same things that you said. I mean, they started with a bang. I think... This show has so much promise, and I love when a show or a book or a story lets my imagination explore, and that's exactly what this does. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: The only reason I'm giving it a 9.5 is just exactly what both of you are saying. It's like every 20 minutes, my jaw kept falling on the floor with something that they're exploring, so I have to give them room. I can't give them any higher with this debut episode. (laughs) Every 20 minutes, something was happening. So I don't know what the rest episodes have in store. So
2: Yeah, we would have to be going over tens at that point. (laughs) Well, and I'll give you one of the critics' comments that I particularly enjoyed. Most of them were really great and positive, but this one said, Westworld is thrillingly threading a tight needle. It's resolutely aware of its formula while simultaneously trying to puzzle out the dark impulses behind it. If that's the future of the HBO drama, it's an exciting one.
1: I like that. Mm -hmm.
2: Okay, our two other sections that we're going to do throughout this season. The next one is MVB. So instead of MVP, you have Most Valuable Being.
1: Oh, I like that. Who
2: is your MVB for this episode?
1: My MVB is Peter. He stole the show.
2: You can't take my MVB. Oh, that's you too? Okay, why? Well,
1: okay. How many times can you say that another actor stole a scene from Anthony Hopkins? How many times can you say that? Never. And he legit stole that scene from him.
2: He definitely did.
1: The acting was so above par. I hope we see more of Peter Abernathy because
3: Luis was the shit.
2: I agree. Jamal, (laughs) who is your MVB for episode one?
3: This bastard. Fucking took it, man.
2: I'm... He stole all <laughs> of ours. <laughs> yeah, I,
3: the, the guy was crying at the like, I mean, it wasn't even the crying when he looked at the picture. It's that threat that he gave all of them that set the tone for where the rest of this damn series would go. Like, I want that quote to be remembered for the rest of the series. And he said it perfectly, like a Shakespearean actor. Like, I, I, I totally got it, man. Which is mine.
2: great. We're going to call back to that in a second. So, I'll give you two then. Mine was also going to be Peter for two of his quotes. The one is what he says to Dolores after he looks at the photo and he's warning her. I thought this was one of the most amazing lines I've ever heard on TV. He said, I asked a question I wasn't supposed to ask, which gave me an answer I wasn't supposed to know. And that hmm. just... Blew my mind. I mean, not only does it open up all those doors to why did he come to this question? How did he come to ask it? And now that he has, it's led him to this result, which all but confirms he is more than he seems to be. Yeah. And also just the existential crisis, like Jamal said, that that throws him into. What am I doing here? How did I wind up here? What in the hell is going on with my world He's so emotional, amazing. And later on to Dr. Ford, he says, you don't know where you are, do you? You're in a prison of your own sins. Oh, so deep. Which was chilling.
1: Mm-mm-mm. He also says, hell is empty and all the devils are here.
2: And that's an important line.
1: Yeah. The man behind Westworld, Dr. Ford, has a name that not only calls to mind the man who shot Jesse James but also the ford of Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Oh. The novel about a dystopian future society where people are engineered and conditioned takes its title from a line in William Shakespeare's The Tempest. Oh, wonder how many goodly creatures are there here? How beauteous mankind is, O oh brave new world, that has such people in it.
2: Oh, man.
1: So these words resonate with Westworld. Certainly, but there's also a moment in the first episode when one of the hosts quotes the Tempest directly. Hell is empty, and all the devils are here.
2: Oh, so he's definitely playing with those Shakespearean ideas and call-ins there. I love that. Well, it could sweepingly go to Peter Abernathy. I'll just give a secondary mention to who I first thought of, which was Bernard Lowe for his amazement and awe still at these things. He hasn't become jaded yet like Dr. Ford. He is the apt pupil. He wants in on these reveries and this next phase stuff for the knowledge... The scientific creation, everything idealistic and beautiful he can see about the creation. You could see this being where Dr. Ford was 30 years ago until everything that's happened to him. So I love that that's all portrayed very well by this actor. Just amazing job by Jeffrey Wright. Mm. Okay, well, we all really enjoy this episode. We got a preview for our upcoming episode to Chestnut. And then some.
1: Yeah, I thought the preview gave too much, so I don't think we should even talk about it.
2: I don't want to. I wish I hadn't seen that much, in fact.
1: Speaking of Abernathy, we dug deeper into discoverwestworld.com in our precast. Yeah. So definitely check that out. But if you sign up with that, you get weekly emails that give you more and more info about the world. And this week, they talk about the Abernathy Ranch. So definitely go check that out.
2: Yeah, well, not just that. They give you three parters in your email each time. They give you a location. So, right, this time you can read about that. They give you a storyline. So they tell you more about Teddy versus the Man in Black. Black. And something else that I hadn't looked into until this evening, right before we did this, I started to look at the third option. You can go inside the Delos experience, so to speak. So it takes you to the Delos security panel where you can read flagged comments, corporate alerts, corporate resources. They actually look like different memos that are going back and forth between the administration of Delos. Hmm. It's pretty amazing. Just to give you a little snippet, they're talking about... New revealing research. So there's this email chain, it seems like, going back and forth about a new narrative promo for the park. And this is coming from Quality Assurance in Guest Relations. He's saying admissions are up, but families are down. Strategy wants a family based spot, not some art house approach. They are nervous, the perception of the park is just guns and sex. Big turnoff for newer guests. How about something for the kids? horses and farmers and some wholesome shit. (laughs) (laughs) The right back is that's what they asked for, but they had to tread lightly. The response is, tell me no one showed this to Ford, at which point they say he hasn't weighed in on a promo for 20 years, and then they propose it to someone named Tamara that this is the new promo, and Westworld admin loves it, but wants them to cut down on the family-friendly spot they had asked for. They think it has limited appeal at best. So administration does not want them to go for the family-friendly stuff. They want them to continue along with these other things that they've been doing. Another one talks about a possible interdepartmental conflict. And this one comes from Bernard Lowe himself, the host behavior. He says, far be it from me to tell you guys how to do your jobs, but several hosts in the Bloody Bender storyline were shot in the face by a QA security response team in Sector 23. Some of the hosts are homicidal by design, but they cannot hurt humans. In this instance, the three hosts in question are designed to rush headlong at victims, but no employee was in any real danger. Just asking you remind your team to use voice commands first and shoot as a last resort. This latest trigger-happy response has led to some unnecessary costs since we now have to rebuild the host's cortical shields from the scratch. Nice. And there are many others, including mandates and misconduct and subordination. It gives you a really cool look into the inner workings and yeah. world. And I just suggest that you go and spend some time, have fun discovering Westworld, and get this more immersive experience for yourself.
1: It's pretty cool. It's like you can read. you're reading other people's emails. Yeah. <laughs> so you're getting the lowdown on
2: And discovering the maps and reading more about the storylines. I mean, if you loved what HBO was doing with the Game of Thrones insider mm-hmm. things, you will really enjoy this.
1: Just real quick for the Clatcher's comments, we got an email from Claudio. It's in regards to Mr. Robot, so we won't read the email, but we want to give you a shout-out for writing to us. We really appreciate it. Um, he did end it with, just wanted to throw that out there as I'm working through the second season for a second time. It's as though I watched season two for the first time with my eyes closed. Crazy. it's definitely a show that you have to watch again, and you'd probably pick up a lot more.
2: We got a couple of write-ins about follow-up Mr. Robot. Shout-out to Stan Sanderson, to Norman... To Vicky, who sent us a great video about Rami and this embarrassing clip that he was was in, which was great. Thank you for that. Hopefully at some point we can go back to some of this feedback a little bit more. But I especially would like to thank Scott, one of our longer time listeners, Mm -hmm. who wrote in with some really positive feedback in response to one of the negative reviews we got recently on Mr. Robot. thank you for that and to promote it and Failed for tweeting at us about some things to remember for the stages of a growing podcast. (laughs) So we really appreciate that, guys. And in the future, we will continue with the Clatchers' comments as they relate to Westworld. So please start to write in. Give us your feedback on that. If you have any questions coming out of Episode 1 about this season that we didn't pose or any theories that we haven't talked about, please let us know. We'd be happy to go through it.
1: One of the things that we are going to discuss next episode that we would love to hear what your guys' opinions are, are these two questions. If this was real, would you go? And what would you do? What would your plan be? Would you be a bad guy that holds up a bank? Would you go treasure hunting? Would you go do something that we haven't seen yet, but we will? Something in regards to the Native Americans there. Which is going to be epic. That opens the storyline even more. Now we have the the Native Americans and what the settlers, because we weren't, I guess we were U.S. citizens, but whatever we were, what how we were dealing with uh, the Native Americans around us as we took their land.
2: So, are we as hosts going to talk about this now or next episode? We're
1: going to talk about it next episode while we mix in what you guys feel. So, let us know. Perfect. Can't via wait. Twitter at ckc podcast, and don't forget to follow us there while you're there. And also, you can email us at contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com. Real quick, while we're moving this goddamn website, our email went down as well. We appreciate you guys sticking with us. We're going to get fixed, it's going to be all good. Thank you again for listening. Until next week, this round's on me.
0: This round is on me. Perhaps we better drink to a deep and dreamless slumber. <laughs>